want prayer, you know, from the elders. Um, if there's something that's on your heart, if there's a health concern, if there's a, um, you know, a, a relational need, if you have, you know, things that are consuming you, and you would like to get into a room with a number of elders and would like, you know, the elders to pray over you, lay hands on you, maybe even anoint you with oil, which is what the Bible has, has said, then come tonight and, and, and gather together with the elders as we will pray confidently over you and do it in, also in, in private if, if that's what you desire. So it's not necessarily all of us getting together and praying together. It's if you have a real need before God and would love to come and have elders pray over you, um, that's what we're talking about tonight. So my apologies for any kind of confusion um, about that, but that's basically what it is. It's an elder-directed time of prayer. So whatever needs you have. So the onus is not on you. The onus is on us as, as uh, elders. So we're going to have elders there tonight, and we're going to have other prayer leaders um, as part of the church. So if there's something that's really on your heart, and you would love you know, to place it before the elders and have them pray for you. That's an opportunity to do that. And again, I want to remind you that if the weather doesn't look that good and we have to postpone, we will contact, uh, we will send out a notice by the Village Green Facebook page by, I think, the latest four o'clock is what we've decided. If you don't see anything or hear anything um, at that time, then tonight's a go. All right? Um, Good. Are, are we good? And it's downstairs. Okay, thank you for that. That's where we're going to meet in the large room downstairs for those of you that, are, that are, want to be here. So it's kind of convenient to park on that side of the building, an easy access to get in. Um, so thank you for that. So I apologize. That's a lack of good communication on my part. So um, let's, let's hope I don't do badly on the next sec- segment. Um, we're, 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 we're talking about Sermon on the Mount, and if you've been with us the last number of weeks, um, I hope you've been challenged. Um, this is some of the most um, daunting teaching that Jesus has, has ever uh, presented. This is a powerful sermon, and we're going to get into some um, passages this morning that if you've been in church in any length of time, you know is going to be very familiar territory. But we're going to do it in a package because the package is really important. Sometimes we take some of these verses and we you know, pull them out out of their context and not always get the, the brunt of what Jesus is really talking about. And it's really, I, I, I found it very timely. I, I read just this week um, a particular article that said that millennials... Are, are, have two great stressors in their lives. And, and if I remember correctly, millennials are like uh, 20 to 39, 23 to 39. I think that's the age bracket for millennials. And the two great stressors in their lives is number one is debt. That millennials have a stress of debt that no other generation before them have experienced. Um, this difficulty with, with debt. And the, and the article gave a number of reasons why there's certain expectations, cost of living, you know, what they're not able to manage. Um, and the second thing that's a huge stressor for millennials is mental health. In fact, millennials grew up at a time when they were expected to be perfect. 
And because of that perfection, because of the climate and environment that they grew up in, that a lot of them are struggling with mental health because of the, the stressors that culture has put on them, et cetera, et cetera. Those are two big stressors that they have in, in their lives. And I thought it was really timely as I was reading that article um, in doing this particular passage that we're going to, as I've said, enter into some very familiar verses that Jesus is talking about. And it's just powerful to me how Jesus is very aware of the things that we struggle with um, in human nature. So we're going to dive into the passage and we're going to kind of go it piece by piece. And if you have your life group uh, notes and and you want to follow along, uh, please do so. But the passage that we're looking at this morning is out of Matthew 6, starting at verse 19, 34. There's a lot of passages um, here. And, and um, um, as I said, we're going to break it up into chunks and, and kind of give you the details of this particular passage. But many of you will recognize these words. Jesus then says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moss and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Now, this is, um, you know, we've heard this statement time and time again, you know. Jesus talks about these things about treasure. Wherever your treasure is, is where your heart is going to be also. If this is what you treasure in your life, whatever, you know, whatever captures your heart, is also how your life is going to be shaped. Um, the, the sentence I want to place on this as a summary statement is, is this next line. Um, our choice of treasure determines who or what we worship. Our choice of treasure determines who or what we worship. If, if we're driven by, you know, possessions and things like that, that is what's going to be the thing that we worship. Um, worship is whatever replaces God in any way, shape, or form. And Jesus recognizes that in the world that we live in, materialism, possessions, money are the things that can drive us away from God. In fact, you know, the reality is in cultures where... Um, there's a higher level or standard of living, there's a tendency to leave God out of the picture. That's, that's, that's a statistical reality. That the more, um, the more wealth that we have, the more tendency we have to think that we're okay and God's not needed in our lives. That's a statistical reality. And that's kind of like the rub when it comes to, you know, um, wanting to be blessed by God. The reality is for most of us is that God becomes a need in our lives. And when we need God, that's when we reach out to God. But in those moments where things are very good, um, we feel that God's blessing us. And we tend to not engage in a vital relationship with God. And that's kind of the rub, isn't it? The very moments where God's blessed us, the very moments where things are going well and God's, God's put his hand of blessing upon us has the tendency for us to forget and leave God at the side. 
And that's, that's the great tension in our lives. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you know, Moses gave a number of three sermons before the people of Israel entered into the promised land. And, and, and Moses says some very interesting things. He says, here we are on the boundary and you're about to go into the promised land. This place that God has promised you. And for, you know, the duration of going across the desert, God has fed you with manna every day. God gave you, you know, the sustenance for each and every day. And God was able to carry you and you had dependency on God. But you're going to get to this border and you're going to enter into this beautiful promised land flowing with milk and honey. And you're going to enter into orchards that you didn't plant. And they're going to be vibrant orchards. And they're going to supply you with everything you need. You're going to go into homes that you didn't build. And you're going to live there. And they're going to be opulent and gracious and all those kinds of things. And guess what? As God has blessed you in that particular way, remember God. Don't forget him. Don't put him aside. Don't think we finally arrived and now... I don't need God anymore. That I can, I can manage things from this point onward. And, and suddenly, when we, when we lose the sense of our need for God, the sense of worshiping God also goes by the wayside. And we start to worship the things that we think are carrying us, like how much we make or or the resources that we have, or the blessings that have come our way, even though we need to recognize that those very blessings have come from God. And that's, that's the power of this particular passage. And the, the reality is, is that, you know, we all have passions, and we all have desires, and we all have things that we treasure in our lives. They're not necessarily bad. But when they take over the need for God, the worship of God, then you're entering into dangerous territory. And that's what Jesus, you know, because whatever grips your heart, you know, shapes your life. Um, if, 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 if possessions are the thing that grips your heart and every morning you get up, I need more, I need more, I need more, you know, we all know the trajectory of what that life's going to look like. Because eventually it's going to hurt relationships. Eventually it's going to hurt the things that you say you love in terms of the people around you. But you know that if you had to make a choice and you come to this place and it means giving up this possession that that has gripped your heart or giving up a relationship, sometimes, or we've been in situations where people have taken the treasure and not the relationship. And that's hurtful. And Jesus is warning us about what it is that grips our heart. All right? So here's, here's the next, next passage that often, that often gets um, left out of this particular statement. So here's the next passage. Then Jesus from there says, your eye is like a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is unhealthy, um, or your eye is dark, by the way, the whole body is filled with darkness. Or if it's a bad eye in the Greek text, as opposed to the word unhealthy. Uh, And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness 
is. Now, you're going to go to uh, a number of commentators or you're going to go to a number of places and people are going to lift this particular uh, two verses out. But the problem with that is that Jesus is absolutely intentional in putting this passage right here after um, where your treasure is. And in fact, um, in a second, you're going to see another very popular verse And this section is actually wedged between those two verses. And it's wedged in there for a particular reason. What is Jesus talking about here, about a good eye and a bad eye and all that kind of stuff? What he's talking about is that when your treasure is on possessions, you know, what your eye does and what you see with that eye and how that grips your heart, you know, because your eye becomes the lamp of your body, And it feeds your body with either good things or bad things. Like if your treasure is on God, your perception and your perspective of life becomes so different. You see things through the grace of God. You see things as a good thing or light that God is doing in your life. But if you're seeing it as something that um, is in your way or something, uh, you know, that isn't going to give you what you want because your treasure is somewhere else, it's going to create a whole different Um, Not only mindset, but a whole different um, reaction in your body. Because how you see things really is how you perceive the world. And Jesus is talking about, be careful of your perception. If you see things through the eyes of God, if you see things as a necessity from God, as a gift from God, your entire life becomes different. You guys tracking with me? Okay. Here's the the singular statement for, for this. Our choice of eyes determines who or what affects our overall spiritual condition. Have you ever been around a negative person? Uh, you're fortunate because if you haven't, right? We all been around a negative person, right? Okay? Don't talk weather with me because I will be a negative person, right? You all know that, right? Don't talk weather with me, okay? I'll be a negative person, okay? But negativity has, has, is, is dangerous, right? And if you view things always from a negative standpoint, it creates darkness in your life. And Jesus is talking about the perception of your life, to recognize the grace of God, to be open to, the, to, to God working in your life, to see that kind of light, and to see it for what it is, okay? It affects our entire spiritual well-being, we just, can't, we just can't, you know, kind of hide in a corner and then come out to the world and say, this is the way the world is and not, not realize how bad it affects us. Okay? Um, in, fact, in fact, you know, the Greek culture has evil eye. How many, any Europeans here know what the evil eye is, right? You know, I remember when, when our, our boys were little, I remember having, having you know, our, our, our sons, you know, just as babies. And I remember my mom said, make sure another Greek doesn't give it the evil eye. I go, what do you, oh yeah, it, it'll, it'll place a curse on the baby. I say, you nuts, right? You know, called my mom nuts on live. Wow. 
Well, that's a common thing, you know, you know, give evil eye. Because people realize, you know, what can get passed from the eyes into the body. And that's what Jesus is talking about, right? Don't think, don't think that this does not have an effect on your spiritual well-being, okay? Um, so it's, it's interesting that Jesus puts this right in the middle of these two passages. Here's the next passage, and right away you're going you're to recognize this page, passage. No one can serve two masters. You can't serve, you know, a good eye. Okay? For you will hate one and love the other. Okay? You will be devoted to one and despise the other. Jesus repeats that. Right? Love is a set of devotion, is, 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 is what you devote yourself to. And that's the language of love. It's also the language of worship. What you devote yourself to is what you love. Right? Money itself is not bad. The love of money is the problem. Hear me on that. Money isn't the issue. It's your reaction to that money. Your love of that money. You know, that's the problem. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. Uh, Interesting terminology, right? You can't serve one and be enslaved uh, to money. That's going to be a problem, all right? So look at the terminology that, that Jesus uses. Here's the statement for this particular passage. Our choice of master determines who or what we serve. Whatever is master over us, if, if, if finances, if money, if possessions is what I have, if that has mastery over us, you know, that's what we serve. Okay? Um, there's, there's, three, there's three common elements between money and God. Here, here are the three common elements. Number one, um, both can grip the heart. We, we know this. Both can grip the heart. You know, um, uh, I, I've said this many times before. One of the, the character qualities that is really hard to identify is greed. Okay? Greed is, is almost impossible. I don't want to say almost impossible. But, but greed in the average person is hard, is hard to identify. Because there's a lot of legitimate things that people say... That, that you're wondering, is it legitimate or is it greedy? You know, um, I'm worried about my future. I'm worried about my job. How am I going to support my family? All these legitimate things that, that come up. Um, and you go, are they necessarily greedy or are they legitimately concerned about what's happening? The economy's really bad. You know, it's expensive to live here. You know, all those kinds of things. So greed can hide itself um, in, in a way that you have to be very careful but if that consumes you, then that becomes a problem, doesn't it? So both can really grip the heart. You can be so consumed um, of, of your financial well-being that every decision you make in your life is generated by money. And if you don't realize, that's, that's predominantly what happens in business. People are not the primary decision matrix anymore money is and people get in the way of money because it's gripped the heart because that's become the priority and that's what is 
the matrix for making a decision, which you have to be very careful about. Um, if, if the decision is between people and money, then, you know, Jesus says, side with, with people. Okay? Right? That's, I know, I know that's, a, that's a tough thing without specific examples, but we live in a world where people get in the way of money for most corporations. That's just the reality of what we live with, okay? Um, and and what, is, what do they always say? Uh, it's not you, it's business, right? What, you know, what's said, okay? And you know what? <sighs> yeah. There could be legitimate reasons, but we have to be very careful that we just don't make it all about money because it can grip the heart. Um, number two, um, both demand, demand to be served. If you think you have control of your money, both demand to be served, okay? God, God wants us to be obedient. God wants us to, to, to serve and to serve others in love. That's the categories. That's, that's the biblical teaching on, on serving one another. That's how we serve in love, right? Um, but that's not necessarily true with money, Money demands something from us, and we know that. And I'm not talking about being irresponsible. I'm not talking about being cavalier or anything like that. But if we allow it to consume us, we end up serving the money and not serving God. And, and, and sometimes it's a very fine line. Don't, don't misunderstand me. Sometimes it's a very fine line. Jesus is making us aware of how fine that line is and to recognize it when we've crossed it. So both demand to be served. Number three is both demand a choice. Both demand a choice. Are we going to serve wholeheartedly? Are we going to serve the other wholeheartedly? Um, because you can't love God and have a love for money. Because the two are going to collide. The two are going to compete against each other. And at some point, there's going to be a breakup. And breaking up is hard to do. <laughs> I'm just testing to see if you're awake. Thank you for not falling asleep. I'm just, I, you know, anybody as tired as I am this morning, I don't know, just, yeah, anyway. Yeah, but, but, but those are the similarities. And that's why Jesus talks about it in that particular capacity. Because we do end up worshiping that if we're not careful. We can worship our, res- our resources and our possessions and our titles and what they give us and all of that, okay? Now, what I find really fascinating in this particular section, a section that many of us um, are very familiar with, is what Jesus does next. He kind of anticipates the crowd. He kind of anticipates how people are feeling about what he has just said. So here's the next section of, of, the pass, of the passage, which, which leads to the next point. He knows what possessions. Um, oh, sorry. Um, can you go back, Mark? My apologies. I'm, I'm really out of it today. All right. Do not allow money or possessions to become a functional deity. Only God is God. Okay? The reality is that for many people, money and possessions becomes a functional deity. That is what they worship. That is what makes the decisions in their lives. That's how they gauge 
um, you know, whether they're successful or not successful and all those kinds of things. And when it comes to the, the way we define things in our culture, God defines things so differently. God defines sex success differently. God defines you as a human being differently. You're not a monetary uh, you know, asset line to God, right? There's just so many different ways that God defines you as opposed to what the culture will define you. But the fact of the matter, if we allow possessions to be worshipped, it becomes a functional deity in our lives. That becomes God for us, okay? So here's the next section. Thanks, Mark. Um, so this, look how brilliant this is. Jesus says, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Isn't that amazing? Jesus is kind of sensing the anxiety he's just raised in the crowd and his disciples. And he says, guess what? I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food? And your body more than clothing. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you, aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? All those things that, that we, we stress over in terms of our, our, our money and our possessions and our valuables and, and all the things that we think... Right, and and we and we're consumed with with all of those things. Jesus is saying, "What is it going to add an additional day to your life if you're so consumed with those things?" This is pause for effect. <laughs> you know, we've all. We've all been there, right? If there's one thing I've learned from having a grandson, it's what consumes my life. If there's anything that makes me pause and make me say, what's more important in this moment is my grandson or what I'm worried about in the moment. It's been absolutely uh, a blessing from God. Because there's moments where I, I go to say, uh, I kind of bit, and then I go, no, wait a minute. Am I really that busy? Am I really thinking that this is as important as I think it is? And it's amazing how quickly you can realize a different time, a different opportunity, a different moment where you could do that. But right here, right now, is this treasure that is so beyond comparison, and why wouldn't I want to spend every moment possible with this treasure? And can all my worries add a single moment to my life when compared with this? And you know, I've had to have a talking to myself. I don't know if you ever had to, have you ever had to talk to yourself? And go, bad John, bad John. How could you think that, John? Okay, right? I hope you use your name and not just bad John. Let me say that. 
But it's true. And you know what? I, 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 don't, I don't mean to guilt people into, you know, really busy lives. I know, okay? But there's times where you just have to recognize that even in your life, the things that consume us on a busy day, a busy week, that we are very valuable to God. Very valuable to God. That's, you know, that's... That's the point I want to make in all of this. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Worry, in the next line, worry degrades our value. That's what it does. If we're so worried about it, it degrades our value. It degrades how God feels about us. All right? Which is the next point um, on the screen to make. That worry degrades our value. And Jesus is bringing this up because he knows that in the crowd, people are consumed with just trying to get by, just trying to sustain life. And Jesus is saying, you know, as, as legitimate as that is, don't diminish your value of how important you are to God. If I don't do this, if I don't make this, if I don't, then I'm somehow less than, you know. And maybe culture, you know, puts us in categories and puts us in a social structure. And maybe culture does that and all all that kind of stuff. But God doesn't do that. Each and every one of us is valuable in his sight. And I think that's, that's something to shout from the rooftops. That God doesn't make any mistakes. That some of you here this morning are going to think that you're a mistake of fate. Or a, you know, unexpected. God expected you and you were not ever a surprise to him. And every one of you is valuable. And sometimes we forget that about each other. But sometimes, more times often than not, we forget that about ourselves. That we are so valuable. We'll, we'll beat ourselves over, you know, and, and, and put rent space in our heads over something that we've done that's wrong or bad. And, and we'll say, God could never, and how would I ever again, and, and all that kind of stuff. But God loves us. God loves us. You know, Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he continues with the next passage, you know. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. He says, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. Like, you know, all you nature lovers are going, Amen. Right? Absolutely. Figure that out easily. Okay? And if God cares as wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And then he says this, why do you have so little faith? Ouch. Okay? Which Which is what worry diminishes. Worry has the ability to diminish our faith, which is so important to God. Worry has a way of, of taking, you know, 
taking our ability to trust God in the moment with whatever is going on and just kind of, all right, I'm, I'm running out of time. I'm going really over, overboard here. So, so worry diminishes our faith. And, and, and some of you here know what that's about. Um, you're, you're, you're worried, and it's like, God, why? And, and that's, that's the conversation in your head. God, why did you allow that to happen? God, this shouldn't be the way it is. God, why is the world like this? And, and you know, you might not think of it as worry, but that's exactly what it does. You're worried about everything that you see that is on the outside and how you see the world. And, 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 and it, it diminishes your ability to have faith and trust in God. And it diminishes your ability to say, God, you're in control. You've got this. I may not understand what is going on, but Lord, you have got this. Here's the last section, okay? Uh, So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else, and live righteously. Live, you know, to live right means to do right even when it doesn't feel right. Even when you know it's right, but it's going to be hard. Or you do the right thing. You continue to do good even though you don't think anybody's watching or it's going to make any difference or anything like that. I've had people all the time say to me, well, why should I when? And they'll say, you know, what good is it doing? Why do I keep being faithful? All all those kinds of things. Jesus is telling us, you know, no matter what, to live righteously. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Thanks. Okay? In this life, you will have trouble okay that's 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 a known you know today's trouble is enough for today so here here here's the last statement i want to make right you know worry um diminishes not only our faith but diminish derails our priorities Worry derails our priorities. It'll take us away from seeking the kingdom of God, from doing the right thing, from doing the good thing, and, and all, of those, all of those kinds of things that Scripture you know, commands us to. But it, it diminishes our priorities, derails them. God says, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God first. And all these things will be added unto you, as the older versions say, all the things that, that God intends. And if God takes care of you, the things that we worry about that, that aren't going to be, um, you know, that we think tomorrow, right? You know, worry about tomorrow is bankrupting your ability to do anything right today. So, you know, there's a whole bunch of problems with that. But, you know, that's, that's what derails that. So here, here are the two last statements I, I want to make. Um, as part of your life groups. Our ability to fully trust God is often tested by two great challengers. And we talked about this at the very beginning. Number one, that which grips our heart, money. Money, this is how Jesus ties these two things together. The thing that grips our heart, you know, money. That's the big challenger to having trust in God. The other challenger is the thing that clouds our mind. 
worry. Now, there's, you know, no time to get into it, but there's legitimate concerns, you know. Jesus talks about having legitimate concerns and things like that and praying to God and all those kinds of things that we're talking about. But if you're just consumed with worry all the time, okay, it clouds your minds. And, and, and we talked about the things that Jesus um, brought to bear. That's the power of this particular section, okay? The, the thing that grips our heart and the thing that clouds our minds. That's why this section is so beautifully packed um, together, all right? Now, if you have any of these concerns, come tonight. We'll pray over you. If, you know, if there's something that you would love to hear from God, if you would love to know that there are elders praying for something specific in your life, don't, don't miss tonight, you know. It'd be our privilege, our honor to come around you in a small group um, with a few elders to pray specifically for what it is that you would like, lay hands on you, maybe even anoint you with oil, and just ask for God to heal you, to bless you, to answer prayer, and to make a difference in your life. Because we believe God answers prayer. Amen. 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 All right. Uh, Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time this morning as we continue to study Sermon on the Mount. What a powerful section. Um, Really challenged my own heart today as we talk about trusting you and not allowing the things that consume so many people to really bear down our lives in a way that consumes us and And if we're not careful, end up become objects of our worship. So, Lord, as we continue to learn and to be challenged by your word, I pray that there be those here today who will actually be praying to you for an open heart in some of these matters. Lord, um, wow, even even tonight um, as we gather together to pray, May there be those who are seeking just a life transformation in a way that they have not sought yet. They want to live fully for you. They want to trust you. And and, and salvation becomes a real opportunity and event in their lives. Because we know, Lord, that you do change lives. And we thank you that we have the privilege to pray in that way. So, Lord, as we commit these things to you, we pray that you would bless us. Bless life groups as they study this material, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to ask the worship team to come and to gloriously set a sail um, on the promises of God. All right? Yeah, once again, we'll be downstairs tonight at 5.30, but if you don't hear anything on uh, Facebook, you know, if weather's a bit of a problem, then we're a go for tonight, okay? Hope to see some of you there. Take care. God bless. How about we stand as we conclude our service this morning?